Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Kaderna Podcast. For you loyal listeners, I know it's been a while since summer just kind of keeps on flying by and haven't had too much time here behind the mic, but it is time to get back at it on your favorite podcast, in which we pursue wealth in its original meaning, which remember is a state of well-being. So this summer, we've seen kind of a topsy-turvy stock market finally get some footing as we had a positive July, which was very nice. But much of the conversation still surrounds the Fed. And remember, they have a dual mandate to manage inflation and maintain low unemployment. So today I'm going to sit down with Matt Becker to talk about the latter, employment, particularly how to hire, how to fire, and what employees ought to start thinking about as this economy evolves. If you don't know Matt, let me give you a quick background. Matt Becker began his career helping shape national public policy and politics. He worked in the U.S. House of Representatives and served in the administration of President George W. Bush. His last position under W. was at the U.S. Small Business Administration, or SBA, in which he served as the Deputy Chief of Staff and White House Liaison. More recently, Matt served as the Chief Operating Officer for the Republican National Convention in Tampa in 2012. But since working for the government, Matt has moved on to become a private banker in Florida and now owns two Pride Staff franchises. These are businesses in which Matt helps connect employees and employers. So please stay tuned. We're going to have some great tips, some great takeaways in this conversation as we help employers learn how to find talent and employees how to find the perfect job. It's going to require work and time and sweat and toil. If money wasn't an issue, what would I be doing? Don't worry about it. You'll figure it out. Change is the only constant. The Kadona Podcast. So Matt, let me ask you, how does it feel to leave the government and join the private sector? I loved it. Uh, to be blunt with you, it, it was the best decision of my life. I think when I was when I finished in the Bush administration, I was at the U.S. Small Business Administration. So on a on a regular basis, we were meeting with small business owners from all across the country, hearing their trials and tribulations about the SBA government in general and government contracting and whatever. And I always envied what they were doing. So when I, I finally pulled the trigger to do this and and set up my own business and and really get people out to work, it, it's been the most rewarding thing I've ever done. That's awesome. So how exactly did you go from, you know, working with the White House to now being a small business owner? What we did is my my wife and I, after the convention was done in Tampa, decided we wanted to stay in this market. And so we did is started to look for uh, businesses or franchises because we were looking standalone as well that best fit our personality and things we enjoyed and pride staff fit that bill for us. So we're, we're franchisees of pride staff with uh, two offices, one in Clearwater and one in Tampa, but really the, the driver was, we wanted to stay here because we love this community. And then the secondary piece to it is what can we do that we would really love? And, and that was helping people find meaningful careers is, is what really helps us sleep well at night. Would you call yourself like a, a headhunter? Are you on the opposite side where you're working more with uh, the people out there that are trying to look for that dream job? We work, well, we work with both sides of the equation. I, I you know, the, the businesses are the ones that pay us. Um, but at the same time, anytime that you find good candidates, you want to do the best you can to, to put them out to work because they're generally the easiest ones to place. So the, the real answer is we work both sides of the equation, but the truth is it's the, the businesses that pay us. 
Got it. Okay. That's interesting. And if we could rewind a little bit, I know we, we spoke very briefly about having worked in the Bush administration. Why don't, if you can give us a little bit of your background, like a lot of, I know a lot of our listeners may be interested in, in kind of having some impact on public policy. How did you go that route? Is that somewhere that you always, you know, wanted to go out of college or kind of how do you end up in the White House, I guess that you could say? So for, for me, um, I was always interested in, in public policy, but it was really a college roommate of mine that, that as soon as he graduated, he moved out to D.C., and I moved to Chicago, worked uh, for Sarah Lee, but he just kept calling going, Becker, this is your kind of place. Becker, get out here. And after about two and a half years after college, I was like, you know what? He loves it. It's I love going out to visit him because we had fun. And I made the jump. And, and I'll tell anybody that is interested, not just in politics, but just public policy in general, you, you can't go wrong. Uh, it's the, the learning experiences you get are just immeasurable. And, and I, I loved the experience of the people you meet and the people you're around and, and the topics you discuss and, and just the range and breadth of information that you become accustomed to seeing each day. It, it's a phenomenal uh, way to spend your early 20s. And do you feel like a lot of people that get in those positions, and I know this is sometimes the knock in, in politics, is that you haven't had maybe that real world experience that you can kind of communicate to, to what's actually going out, you know, going on out in the world. Um, do you, did you find that there that, you know, lots of times folks were maybe just analyzing things where um, they hadn't actually operated personally? So DC has changed a bit and it was in the process of changing when I was there because I went out in, let's see, I moved out there in 98 and I was there until 06, 07. Um, you really had sort of an old guard. You you did have a, a, a healthy number of, I don't want to call them career because that gives a bad connotation, but people that have yeah. been in other types of businesses that got involved in politics and came out and, and they were great mentors. But then even as we started to leave DC, you started to see it was more of a younger person's game where there were a lot of people that just graduated from college and were getting great big positions but didn't have a whole lot of life experience behind him and never really run anything. And it was just, it was more book knowledge than life knowledge. Yeah. And I, and I feel like that's, especially, I'm sure you got exposure to this working in the SBA is that, you know, when you've been an entrepreneur all your life and you're, you're trying to kind of build your, your baby, build this empire uh, and the, the people that you have to lean on that are kind of dictating the circumstances and the parameters of how your business can operate Mm -hmm. um, and that can be so frustrating sometimes when you see that there is that disconnect between Absolutely. the policymaker and then kind of what they're doing in the laboratory, but then what's going on in the real world. Um, did you have any kind of um, case studies or, or any sort of examples in, in your tenure there that, uh, you know, you were able to kind of correct course or did you ever run into those issues? Correct course is a, is a tough one because you Anything that you do, even within the S, take take the SBA example. Anything that you want to switch, you're still going to have to or modify. You still have to work through the White House or OMB to to make a policy switch. Or if it's a legal switch, meaning there is a law passed through Congress, you got to take it back to to Congress. There's there's very limited opportunities for the agencies to universally or unilaterally, I should say, make changes. Uh, to what they want to do because there's so many fingers in the pot. Um, 
But, you know, one of the things that pops into my head is when I first started in the Bush administration, I was at the Department of Labor and you tr- you truly felt the power of the federal government, not necessarily in a, in a good way, um, because what I recall is I was working with small businesses there as well. And there was there was a business that allowed for essentially in today's ter- terms, flex time. It, his his philosophy was put your 40 hours a week in, and I don't care when you do it, but at the time in which he did it, flex time was not generally accepted. And a business competitor filed a complaint against him, and you you had the wage and hour people go out and investigate and realize the guy wasn't doing it the right way. And he literally lost everything. And and part of it was you you had a business owner that was adamant that he could run his business his way. And you had a wage and hour investigator that was adamant that they were going to do it his way. And it was the federal government won that one. And, and I think not so much to change it, but, but it was a very quick realization of just how much power and how it can be wielded by the federal government. Yeah. I mean, that's uh it's almost frightening to an extent when yes. it's uh... You feel like everything that you're working for can almost be in the hands of, of someone else at times. Absolutely. Um, and that, that's that's the thing that I, I out of all the stuff I did in government, that is the thing that has stuck with me forever was just you don't want to get crosswise with the federal government. But but I don't say it from a, a macho standpoint as much as it's is there too much power there? Hmm. Yeah, that that's interesting. I think a lot of people would say yes you know, to that. But. But there's always kind of two sides to the coin there. We do sure. need, obviously, guidance, regulation, and all the things that, that kind of make America what it is. And, and when we'll get to kind of the current day, but I think this is so interesting that, you know, you got to see these different areas of the federal government, like you said, kind of in, in the earlier stages of your career. How did you end up going to, to work for the SBA and then actually being, you know, the deputy chief of staff and, and working with the White House? Um, how did that how did that change? I mean, were you in direct communication with the president and like what initiatives should be for, for small business in America? No, not, not, I, I was, I was many, many levels uh, down from that. I mean, the title sounds okay. great and it, and it was nice with the <laughs> agency itself um, yeah. because I was, I was able to put my imprint on stuff we were working on. But um, the re- reality is that when you're in an agency like the SBA, you, you're, the administrator of the SBA is probably talking to the chief of staff and not the president all that often, um, unless there was a, a need for it. Um, there are a few times where we'd go over to the White House with the National Economic Advisor asking about what's going on in the SBA, stuff like that. But but um, the only time I, I saw the president was uh, if I happened to be over for an arrival or departure ceremony, excuse me, or uh, my wife actually worked in presidential personnel. So if they had their Christmas parties, we would see him. But I, I wouldn't by any stretch tell you that we were on a first name basis. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. And so then you decided to leave that you get into private banking and everything. Um, you know, fast forwarding, I guess, maybe for lack of a better segue up until where we are now, uh, you know, quite some time from the Bush administration, what are you seeing out there in, in kind of the small business climate, which obviously it seems like if you're talking about, you know, somebody that just has, you know, a little Chick-fil-A franchise or something like that, it's like they just cannot staff positions, they cannot recruit, they cannot retain. It just seems like there's nothing available out there. And they're paying through the nose. I mean, I know inflation has had a huge impact, but it just seems like these managers are paying 
high rates to fill positions that they still can't even fill. You know, can you just clue us into kind of what you've seen and how we've gotten from there to here? Absolutely. And and to do that, I want to step not politically in the sense that I'm going to give you my political thoughts, but the, the, the political corners we're in. If, if you're on the right, uh, Republican, oftentimes you're still thinking people are sitting at home eating their bonbons, living off government um, subsidies and not ever working again. If you're on the left, you're thinking these small businesses are paying less than minimum wage. They're trying to um, not pay um, paid time off or benefits and things like that. And, and the unfortunate reality is both are wrong. Um, if you go back, and, and I know in your, your world, in the financial advisor world, if you go back and look at what has been said about Social Security going bankrupt in the early, what, 2030s, it's been a sort of a moving target from 2033 to 2036. The argument behind Social Security going bankrupt was we did not have enough employees coming through the pipeline to replace those that were retiring. The unfortunate reality and why both sides are wrong is COVID has exacerbated that. And what we've got are a lot of people that have taken early retirement. We've had over a million women that have left the workforce due to COVID who haven't come back. Um, And what you see is our labor participation rate has cratered. If you go back and look in the early 2000s, our labor participation rate was close to 67%. Right about now it's at 62%. And even though 5% doesn't sound like much, the, the reality is 5% of that labor participation rate is really a huge number, which therefore means the employees are going to maintain the hiring power that they have for the foreseeable future. Oh, and, and the birth rate declined too. Yeah, and a lot of interesting info there. If we could just kind of unpack that real quick, can you define the labor participation rate for our listeners? So the, the easiest one, and, and I wouldn't call it the most technical one, is, is the labor participation rate are the people who are trying to work, that want to go and work. The, the ones that, that are unemployed but want to work are the ones that are generally counted. The one they don't necessarily count, the ones that are not trying to work for whatever reason. Okay. So when we say like back in the early 2000s, there was a labor participation rate of 67%. Are, are we essentially saying that 67% of people who were able and willing to work were employed? Correct. I mean, correct. Okay. How is And just cause I want to have kind of clarity on the terms and then I think we can move forward with that. How is that different than unemployment? Like if we're saying, well, only 67% of able workers are able to work, then it doesn't seem like the unemployment rate would be so much higher than it ever has been reported. So the unemployment rate is is really, again, it's back to people that um, are trying to find work. And, and so where the numbers become skewed, if you will, is in the numbers of the people who aren't doing anything. The, the ones that aren't really trying to find work, who aren't actively, it, you could be, you could be a, a single mom or single dad that's just taking care of kids who aren't looking or you could be that single mom or single dad that got laid off and is, and is desperately trying to find part-time or full-time work. Uh, but the numbers get skewed there because depending on the month, you may this month I'm not working, but next month I'm or I can't work. Next month I need to get back to work. Same thing, retirement. Got it. Got it. Okay. And so I know that obviously COVID kind of sped things up when we talk about the great resignation and such. It was a lot of that that shift from the early 2000s to now 2022. 
was that inevitable? Was that just a factor of baby boomers aging and not having as many kids and young professionals filling those gaps? In, in a lot of ways, yes. The, the other aspect to it was, for, and this would be beyond, you'd probably want a real economist for this, but, but going into the early 2000s, we still were seeing an increase of women into the workforce that has started to go back the other way in part due to COVID. Um, so I think the 67% uh, really went up because there was such an influx of women coming into the workforce. Okay, interesting. So that that, that was actually like a high, that 67%. Correct. That's not something to expect in perpetuity necessarily. Correct. Okay, interesting. And so, and, and I'm sorry if we kind of digressed a little bit there, but I know you were making the point that the labor participation rate has been kind of the huge metric that has changed by 5%, which didn't sound like a lot, but it is. You know, what exactly does that equate to in, in real terms today for small business in America? It really comes down to who's who's applying for your roles, like who is truly interested in the roles that you have, because if I'm if I'm a back to your example, if I'm a Chick-fil-A franchise owner, that employee is going to be far different than the engineering small business person that does civil engineering projects. Um, so who is truly qualified for the roles that you have and how many of them are out there for you to choose from? And that really now it starts to get into what are you paying and what do the benefits look like? What, what are the, the benefits to working for your company versus somebody, somebody else's company? Okay. And, and now today, like in the work that you're doing every day, are you finding that people that are looking for a job, are they being picky? Are they not qualified? Are they looking for more money, um, flexibility? Like what are you maybe seeing as some of the issues that people are dealing with right now? So I, on the employee side, I would say that there's generally been of late, let's go from 2020 since COVID sort of changed everything. So let's go from, from whatever it is you start COVID February, March, 2020 till now, you've got one set of a uh, group of employees who know that they're in demand and will use it to their fullest extent. And that may mean they will work the system so that they get an offer somewhere, take it back into their current employer to try and uh, leverage it for more money where they're currently at, but th they will just work the system to try and get as much money because it's all about me. There's another element of the employees, however, that just say, you know what, I, I just want to work at a place that appreciates me. Life is too short. I want to be somewhere where I'm not just a number. Um, th there, there's been, a at least in our experience, a definitive split uh, one way or the other. On the flip side, on the business owner side, um, it's been a lot more clear that there are business owners out there that are too picky. If you know you you send over a resume of a great person, but they say they don't have this type of software experience, and I don't have time to train them. Well, that may be your only applicant for the next six months. And if you're going to be that choosy, I I can't help you not grow your I can't help you grow your business. Um, or then you get the other enterprising ones that say, you know what, give me somebody that's younger, that's aggressive, that's hungry. And let me train them so that I can I can build them in the way that I want them so that it benefits my business. And what are you seeing right now as you know, we kind of air this interview here or August of 2022. Has the power shifted at all from the employee a little bit back towards the employer? Is it somewhere in the middle? I mean, I know you're starting to see and hear reports now of some of the big tech companies that are going to um, not be hiring as aggressively 
you know, now inflation is starting to kind of ripple through the economy, the interest rates are going up. And is that next where now all of a sudden companies are saying, well, we can't fill that department or those positions. So is it kind of like the pendulum is swinging now? The pendulum hasn't moved. It's still a, a heavy employee uh, market where the employee calls the shots. Having said that, where the pendulum is shifting is businesses are starting to reach their breaking point in terms of inflation. Um, I can't pay that type of salary or I can't increase the benefits or I'm not going to allow you to work from home. Um, we are seeing businesses getting stiffer um, with their requirements, but at the end of the day, the, the employee is still calling the shots and we still see many employees, if it's not perfect, they'll walk away. And how long do you think that might last? I know you don't have the, the crystal ball, but that's a, a lot of the feedback that you hear on inflation. You know, so much that's driven the inflation is these rising wages um, that have gone up so quickly. Uh, you know, at what point might that employee say, you know what, forget this one, I'm going to go take a better opportunity and then unfortunately you have to kind of go back hat in hand saying, uh, I couldn't find that better opportunity. I, I think we're starting to turn or get to that corner. I wouldn't say turn it. Uh, you know, I had a conversation with a candidate um, yesterday who I, I hung up the phone and I sort of chuckled because they were like, I am desperately looking for work, but I only take work from home jobs. Like, well, which is it? Are you desperately looking for work or do you want to work from home? But I, I think there's a lot of them that are starting to feel the pinch and we're are going to have to uh, decide what they want to do here going forward. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I think that's some of the, uh, just some of the lingo that you're hearing from the fed commentary is that, you know, we're not hitting this recession in a sense because we have such low unemployment still. And it seems like they're almost hinting at, we don't mind if the unemployment rate does start to creep up. Mm -hmm. uh, if that's just something that's a necessary evil to rein back in inflation so it, it seems like that that pendulum does have to swing at some point, but it can't and, just. And I wish I'd had saved the report, but I read a report today where they're starting to see where personal savings has dripped uh, to a low or dropped to a low, um, not seen since 2020, and you're seeing credit card debt go up. So I, I think we're on the precipice of, of seeing that um, shift where people realize I, got, I have to go to work. I can't, I can't wait for perfection anymore. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's such a strange thing as you start to study the economics of it all that it's like, we need to have a little bit of bad to kind of quiet down the enormous demand of the economy to kind of allow the supply side to, to catch up a little bit. Um, and I know it's not a, a good position to be in, you know, as, a, you know, the Fed right now, but right. it seems like that's what they're, they're willing to do is, is take some punches to, to kind of get to this end goal of theirs. And so with all of that said, I mean, right now, if you're a small business owner, what are the, some, some of the things that they could be thinking about to go out and get qualified workers in the current economy with a lot of the headwinds that we just referenced? One is it first and foremost, especially with wages, um, you got to be looking at your pay rates. You have to be realistic with your, with your pay rates. And I say that recognizing that it's not exactly easy. If, you, if you're running, let's say, a manufacturing firm with 50 people, to change your entry-level wage by $2, there's a ripple effect that will generally go through your, your floor, and that changes your bottom line and can change your bottom line pretty significantly. Um, so it's not easy, but at the same time, you also can't expect to pay basement wages and still find people to, to jump in or 
pay basement wages and then be surprised when they get recruited out. So right now, everything is is really driven by what the wages you're offering, because as, as you've seen, um, the most recent numbers, when they look at how much wage potential has been lost, or not wage potential, but how much your, your real wages are, that I want to say it was like a 4.4% reduction year over year, people need to pay their rent, they need to pay their gas, they need to pay their mortgage, whatever it is, they're going to go for the highest dollar right now. Culture is going to take a backseat to money. Okay. And with that, that money kind of leading the conversation, where do you find, uh, you know, kind of some of the, the longer term benefits of sticking with a company? Um, do you find that, that an employer can say, Hey, you know, maybe we're not giving you the highest base salary right now or the highest hourly rate, uh, but we'll incorporate some form of quote unquote, golden handcuffs that maybe can, uh, you know, if the, if the person is able to see far enough down the road, we'll say, okay, this is a company that I can call home. Is there a value in that? Or is, are people just wanting money right now? If you remember a few minutes ago, when I said, oh, we're seeing two types of employees, there's the one employee that will work the system to get every dollar they can get. And then there's a second level of uh, employee that just says, I want to be appreciated. It depends on who you hire. Um, so th there are plenty of people out there where if they find that they're appreciated and that they're respected and that they, that there's some general flexibility with the, the business. And, and it could be hours flexibility. It could be um, start time, end time flex, whatever it may be for that particular employee, you, you're not going to be able to get them out of that job for any amount of money. On the flip side, um, you, the ones that are in the money, they, they may move for the slightest dollar amount just because they're trying to maximize their, their, their wage. So what does a company do? Like, let's say, you know, they, they, they got a bright future, they have a good culture, um, but they're saying just right now where we're at, whether it be because of the economy or the stage that the company's in, they can't offer higher wages compared to the competition out there for the same job. Uh, what, what can they do? I mean, what's, what's something that you can kind of give them as a bargaining chip? I always tell them flexibility is the key right now. Um, to, to the best of their ability, is there, are there times you can let them off early and still, and still pay them if they're hourly? Is there times where you can um, give an, uh, an unannounced bonus? Is there a time where you can give a gift card for dinner out with the family? Like what, what is it that drives that personal employee to make them feel appreciated? It, it's on an individual basis because what drives me may not drive you. So the management really has to dig deep into their employee base to figure out what is it that makes that person tick and what makes them happy and what makes them feel appreciated. And that is the best defense you've got because the truth be told, if all of a sudden somebody walks in and says, hey, I want to give you a $10,000, $15,000 raise, which we've seen, it's hard for anybody to say no. Yeah, money money talks. I guess it always will. Absolutely. And so, what's your what's your take on uh, Elon Musk telling uh, all his folks at Tesla it's time to get back to work? I is that you know, a risky move on his part? You know, it's interesting. I I'm split on this because I will tell you that all of our small businesses for months now, I, not recent but months, have been back in the office. We have no. Uh, remote roles at all within what we're recruiting for. And and frankly, they're hardening on that to even be flexible on working at home on a hybrid model. However, 
the larger multinational or even national companies that we work with, those are the ones that are struggling to get their employees back into the office. And I, it's risky for Musk simply because so many of the other large businesses or corporations are struggling with it. But on the small business side, at least here in the Tampa Bay market, I just don't see people not being back in the office. So it, it really comes down to once those people with Elon Musk decide, do I want to go to a small business? Now they're going to go back to, can I get paid the same? Are the benefits the same? All the, the general checklist items. I generally think typically the corporate corporate world is going to have more benefits, but you're a number. And the minute this economy changes, as we talk about in the tech space, they're going to get laid off. Whereas I think in the small business community, there's a lot more loyalty there and they, they try and hold on to their employees longer. And why do you think like, you know, obviously this, this flex time that we've talked about is kind of like all the craze over the past couple of years, understandably so, because I mean, we went into this worldwide pandemic uh, where everybody had to go remote and by and large, a lot of parts of the economy were able to kind of keep on cooking. Um, I know myself, I remember even that week that it was like COVID came ashore, whatever that was in March of 2020. You know, I had maybe 10 appointments that week to go out and see clients at the office or their office. And just instantly when we said, oh, we're going to shut down our office, it was like, all right, let's just do a Zoom call tomorrow. And I mean, literally did not miss a beat, not a single mm -hmm. appointment rescheduled or canceled and continued chugging along that year, more or less unimpeded. And I think a lot of companies that have any kind of ability to, to work remote realize that as well. So with that in mind, I mean, what is the driver where, where employers are putting their foot down and saying, you need to get back here on the desk? Uh, is it a lack of control? Is it, has productivity noticeably gone down? You know, what are these, these fears, I guess, that are forcing employers to say enough is enough? Really, the, those two things that you mentioned are the top two, lack of control and loss of productivity. Um, I was talking with a, a client of ours that... Um, happened to, to sign into a Zoom call for, you know, their entire team for their weekly meeting. And they, everybody was talking about how they're killing it and how their billable hours are up and so on and so forth. And he said, I finally had to get on and said, you all realize I see your billable hours and you're coming back into the office in two weeks. Um, so, so it, you know, I think there's a disconnect in some cases and, and I, I don't know every business, obviously, but, but in some businesses, they've seen a, a dramatic drop in their customer service, their client satisfaction, um, their sales productivity. And with that, you have a loss of control because you don't know it is the person sitting in front of their desk or they out walking the dog. So I think it's a combination of the both that's, that's driving them back in. And then the other part to it is, especially in the small business space, the infrastructure you need to truly track if you've got 10, 15 people working from home that costs money. And, and for many of these small businesses, they, they just don't have that type of dollar to, to spend on software in which to, to keep track. I mean, as, just as you're saying that, it almost seems like an opportunity might be to kind of reward or bonus an, an employee through flex time. Absolutely. And especially in anything that's measurable. I know you just said like billable hours. That seems so easy for an employer to say, okay, when you were in the office, you did X. Now that you're at home every day, you're doing Y. So if you can get back to X, you can stay home. But if not, you got to work with us. Um, it just seems like it, it shouldn't be such a difficult conversation. Uh, absolutely. It, it, it shouldn't be. 
the challenge comes and and I see it especially on our larger ones is is where they get they get very worried about the litigiousness of you know are you going to file suit against me because you let person X stay home but I'm person Y even though the goals may be entirely different. Have you seen that with, with any of your clients? Not in terms of it actually happening, but in, in discussions with the management and, and yes, but I've not actually seen anything that, that has actually happened in the legal system. Yep. I mean, it is always a concern. So it's something to kind of, unfortunately, be worried about. And I know a lot of, at least kind of as I'm thinking through this conversation, we're talking about or I'm thinking about young professionals who are saying, you know, I can pick and choose where I want to work. And I now like this flex time. And you read so many different studies on, on millennials are more concerned with following their passion and finding culture than just the almighty dollar, um, which may or may not be true. But just to kind of shift gears towards the great resignation, you know, the other end of the spectrum, What's going on there? Can you kind of bring us up to speed with all the folks that have said, you know what, maybe I'll just retire a few years early here, you know, with COVID and everything. So lately we've seen retirees come back. And one of the conversation pieces we have had with them is why are you coming back? I mean, obviously we're anticipating them tell us it's, it's inflation related and 99 times out of hundred it is, but they, a lot of them retired early, not due to fear of COVID, but but they realized when they were staying at home and they weren't traveling that they kind of enjoyed what they did. They might've bought a boat. They might've taken up golf. They, you know, they might've done stuff that wasn't super expensive and they went, wait, I can actually stay at home, not work and still do this and have a happy life. Let's go. Inflation comes along and all of a sudden that that's changed the economics of what they had. And that is forcing them uh, back into the office. Now on the younger side of things, the great resignation, I think, is is really has been driven by career growth more than anything else, because a lot of places they're slow to promote, they're slow to recognize that the talents of the younger generations that have come in. And I think that group, at least the ones that we've worked with, have, have been saying, I'm tired of being in this position for two years. I'm bored. I need new challenges. And, and they want to experience new things. They want to do something different. They don't want to be their parents in the same office, in the same building for the next 30 years and be happy. That's, that's interesting because I think there's so many different things that people run into when they do retire, seeing if uh, it's kind of all that it's cracked up to be. Yeah. And so what's some of maybe the trend that you see either anecdotally, you know, yourself or maybe through some of your research, has it been people who retired going right back to where they used to work or are they all of a sudden kind of leaving the golf course now to find a new, a new lease on life and a new type of encore career or something like that. I wouldn't have enough data to tell you for certain. I can tell you that of the candidates that we've talked to, they've all said, I don't, if I'm going back to work, I want to do something different. I want not much different than the younger generations. I want to have a new challenge. I want to be mentally, mentally stimulated in what I'm doing. Um, there was definitely a thought process of going back to their employers and it was at least rejected. But having said that, my, my only control group, if you will, are the people that we're interviewing. So what I don't know is how many people have had the same thought and said, oh, heck yeah, I'm going back to my employer. Um, so I, I don't know, I wouldn't know that the percentages on that. Um, it's just, I know the ones that we've talked to, it's really been 
I want to do something different because they want to be mentally stimulated again. They don't want to be bored. Hmm. And do you notice anything uh, that the companies are doing different from traditional ways of going out there and recruiting, you know, college grads and young professionals uh, versus, I mean, even if they are recruiting, you know, baby boomers that are saying, you know what, I've changed my mind. I want to go back to work. Uh, you know, are companies actively going after uh, some of those older folks or is that just kind of by happenstance? Just by happenstance, I think employers have been, in my my experience, employers have been really good at raising wages and looking at benefits and trying to be accommodating to the employees. I've been really impressed with how they're trying to stretch their budgets to make it work. Having said that, I've also been very unimpressed with just how slow their hiring process is and how um, focused they are on getting perfect candidates instead of opening their, their parameters a touch and realizing you're going to get good people. And with just a little bit of investment of time, you may have a rock star employee and they're just not interested in, in, in budging. Um, it's kind of like they're saying, Hey, we're getting, we're going to give you the wage, but, I, but for that wage, I want perfection on day one. And it just, it doesn't happen that often in this market. So that old saying, cause I've heard it a lot myself, you know, slow to slow to hire quick to fire. You just don't think that right now that can really apply. That 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 will kill your business. You've got to be fast to hire, fast to hire and fast to fire. If you're wrong, but if you're slow to hire, you're and and the person really is a good rock star, they're gone. You got it, you got it. And do you notice that that competition for that rock star, let's say, um, that could be missed by a small business owner, is it usually they're going to kind of like a direct competitor in that small business space? Or do you see kind of from a macroeconomic standpoint, do you see a little bit of a tug of war between the public sector and let me go just find a comparable job, you know, taking you, for instance, with, mm -hmm. with the SBA or the Department of Labor, where I, I know when I show up, I know what I get paid, you know, I got a cost of living adjustment or whatever it might be uh, versus going to work from a, to a small community bank. Um, do you see that going on much or are people more kind of, uh, siloed to either the private side or the public side? You know, that's a great question. I, more than anything else, if COVID has done anything in the hiring market is, is at least on the employee side, it, and it's the thing we hear every day, all day, they want to be valued. And so if you're working, say, with a public company, we have seen a big transition where people want to work for the smaller business uh, because they feel like it's going to be a better culture and a better value. But where the disconnect sometimes comes in is you, you're not naturally going to get all the same benefits because you don't have the same buying power. And that's the piece where people wrestle with is what becomes most important to them. Is it all the benefits and the, the trappings of a large public company? Or is it the loyalty and the, the camaraderie and the, and the teamwork that you get at a small business? So to that point, I mean, what should a small business do right now? If I'm a small business owner, let's say I've got a, a 20 person operation making widgets or whatever it might be, but I'm kind of of that scope, that kind of small, not quite mid-sized company, mom and pop style. Um, What's what's on my mind? Like, what should I be doing to go out there and get the best employee right now and then keep that employee? 
character, I call them character hires and character hires are to me are just the good people that you can train in your business because you think they're going to stick. And, and they're people who, especially if you get them at the right time where they're down on the luck, their loyalty is returned because if, if you make that right emotional connection, if you will, it, it, loyalty happens and, and you can keep a lot of great employees that way for a long period of time. So the thing that I advise everybody is wherever possible, there, there might be, to use your example, uh, I may need somebody that knows a little something about CNC machines, or I may need somebody that knows a little something about accounting, but I can train the rest. Go for that character hire. Don't go for, I need this specific computer programmer. I need them to know these types of machines, whether it's a Swiss lathe or a, I don't even know what another German lathe may be, but they don't have to get that specific. Go for that character, go for that quality of person, go for that person that's hungry. So a little more train on the job than yes. just look for that certain pedigree. And on the flip side of the equation, do you see anything that these small business owners are asking of the government? So we said, you know, that's, that's what a, a small business owner can do is go on a character hire. What could the government do right now to maybe take some of the pressure off of small business but still not just kind of screw over the little guy and the employee out there looking for a job. You know, I, I'm, I'm always, you know, you know, my background, I'm like less regulation, you know, get, get out of my way. Let, let me create. I, I think America is at its strongest when uh, American small business is strong. So don't overtax us. Don't um, regulate us or not completely not regulate us, but give us more freedom in which to operate our businesses our way. Do you find that to be more of a local issue, like based on on what state that company is working in or even the municipality? Um, does it trickle down so far from, you know, like the executive branch and from D.C.? It yeah, Yes to both, really, because post-COVID, you know, working in, you know, my business is here in Florida uh, and we'll even use just Pride Staff, which is the, the general franchisor for us how my business was able to operate versus say in an office in Illinois or California or New York was entirely different because of how the state approached COVID. So to a certain extent, right now specifically, it is very state oriented. But having said that, uh, you look at the federal level when they looked at family parental leave, when they look at raising taxes uh, on the small business, there's still a healthy amount of um, federal influence as well. Interesting. And do you see a lot of people actually, small business owners trying to make that move saying, I just cannot stay in Jersey or California or New York or where you've seen a lot of this kind of great migration that's happened all around COVID. Um, Are you seeing companies kind of lead the way much on that? Or is it more companies kind of having to follow their employees that are saying, you know, I'm tired of living in that state for whatever reason? I'm moving to Texas or Florida, and then the companies are kind of following that. Like, which is maybe the leader in that? So far, I, at least within my my space, and it, it could be just because companies are reaching out to us. I would say companies are driving the ship more than the the employees. Um, having said that, there's still plenty of employees that are that are moving to Florida because they're they're tired of taxes or tired of the COVID response. But at the same time. It, it doesn't seem like the flood that people may expect because trust me, anytime New York or Michigan or Wisconsin has an exceptionally bad winter, come January, February, we get a flood of people going, I can't deal with, I can't deal with winter anymore. Let, let's go. 
um, it, 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 it hasn't changed the game, but what has changed, or at least what we've seen, I've gotten a lot more calls from people relocating to the area, relocating their businesses, um, saying, hey, I need to find an accountant, I need to find a receptionist, I need to find, you know, pick your position. That's interesting. And one of the, another question I had, there's so much, I think that we can kind of dive around this dynamic of employer and employee and what's going on in the economy today. The connection of employers finding employees and vice versa, where do you think that's happening most right now? Is it, is it career fairs? Is it going to college campuses and recruiting? Is it on LinkedIn? You know, where are a lot of these connections being made or is it just people kind of working on word of mouth that, that knew somebody at one bank, they want to go to another bank and kind of climb that ladder. Um, are you noticing like any shifts or, or trends going on in that regard? We're seeing a lot more companies that have never used recruiting starting to use recruiting because they're getting so frustrated at the lack of response they get from their own um, efforts to, to recruit. Um, so I, I, I've definitely seen a significant increase in our business because, the, especially in the small business space, because oftentimes it's the owner uh, and the owner's like, I, I can't do this for eight hours a day. I need help because I've got to do these 17 other things. Um, so definitely have seen more use of recruiting firms like mine. Uh, but having said that, there's also a significant uh, uptick in word of mouth where a small business owner gets a referral from their neighbor. They may or may not meet the job requirements, but they look at their neighbor and say, I trust you, so bring them in. And maybe to kind of wrap all of this up, like what are uh, anything that we didn't hit on or that that either the employer or the employee should know as they go out there and, you know, they try and find this talent and try and kind of create this happy marriage uh, that can last through economic cycles, whether it's, you know, crazy wage growth, tight labor markets, all the things we're dealing with right now, um, that could be very, very different just two, three years from today. Uh, anything that, that you think really needs to be known? You know, I think, my advice to, to both sides of the equation, both the employee and the employer are the same. And, and that really comes into look at the quality of the person that you're either hiring or the quality of the person that you're going to be working for. Because as we move, I, I'm one of the people that believes that we're coming into a recession. Forget the technical um, explanation right now, whether we get into a full recession in two months, three months, whatever it is, I just think it's coming. Whether or not you stay employed is going to be determined in large part by the relationships you have inside that, that building. And I think it's critical that yes, you want to look at the wages. Yes. You want to look at your standard of living, but you really need to look at the quality of the person you've got so that they're not jumping out for the next highest bidder, nor are they going to lay you off at the first hand of trouble. It's yeah. I mean, it, it sounds almost when you say it, it sounds like, of course, that's, that's what we ought to do. And then, Obviously, in practicality, it's it's difficult. You know, there's there is a lot of competition, so many factors at play here. One just kind of follow up that I wanted to make on that point was, where do you see college fitting into all this? You know, where we've had, you know, just such a, a an incredible boom in college education that now has kind of morphed into a student loan epidemic. And now you're seeing more community colleges, universities, people going straight towards trades. Um, you know, when you talk about going back to that character hire, 
of not just, oh, that guy graduated from this school and not that school, so let's hire him. Do, do you find that the diploma is carrying value or maybe losing some of its value? Have you noticed anything in that regard? I've never had anybody, we're, we, we sit in the backyard of, of USF, University of South Florida. Uh, University of Tampa is right here. I, I've never seen an employer go, oh, wow, they came from Florida. I'm going to hire the Florida person over the USF for the U University of Tampa person when, when we get into those types of roles. So it, to me, it, it depends on obviously the degree that you're going for. If you want to work for that top law firm, it probably still matters. But for 90% of the rest of the world, it, it, the institution doesn't necessarily matter. I do think um, right now you can make a killing if you, you get into trades. Uh, you know, there's such a um, lack of plumbers, electricians. You pick your, your trade on that that I think it's a great way to, to find good employment and move forward with your career. Um, I would also love to see us get more aggressive in terms of apprenticeships. I think that would be an excellent move uh, to help our manufacturing spaces. Um, but realistically, if I have a complaint about the university system is they, they've conditioned a lot of these people to come out and ask for the world. I don't know how many first-time graduates who'd never worked through college have walked in saying, I want $60,000 a year. And you just sort of look at them and go, you're not going to get $60,000 a year. Uh, that, that is the, the hurdle that we have from the, the, and part of that goes back to your student loans, as you mentioned, because they're looking at what do I need to pay back? And I think there's a disconnect between what that degree is actually going to get that person, especially when there's no work experience behind it. And so what do you do? What happens with that student? Like, let's say, especially if they're in Florida and they're asking for 60 grand, you know, right out the gates, maybe not able to get that. Um, do you just try and have that talk with them? Like, listen, you need to lower your expectations. Or is that a segment of the population going back to where we very began at the outset with the labor participation rate? Are they just sitting home waiting? What are they doing? Or going back to get their doubling down and going more into debt to go get their masters. Huh. That's uh, and what? Do you, how do you feel about that? You know, having so much kind of experience in this realm. I, I wish it was one of the things we could change in the university system to get expectations realigned with reality. It 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 is a space where. I, I get that you may have graduated as an engineer, but you know, working at the snack shop doesn't necessarily give you the same experience as working in an engineering firm. Getting some dose of reality has got to be something that that the college and university system has to do from the start so that you you can make a determination of what can I afford so that I don't put myself so far in debt because here's what I can expect when I come out. Yeah. And along the way, I imagine that. The segue ought to be internships and things like that, where yep. there's a little more ability for the employer to kind of get to know the character of that person without investing so much skin in the game. Absolutely. Um, but even that, and, and again, we can kind of go down the rabbit hole on any of these, but I've just noticed with the folks that I deal with that now internships, it's almost like they better be paid or else you're, you're going to have a hard time just now getting interns. Um, because that seems to be kind of more of a common theme is, you know, getting internships that's going to pay you. And now, well, which internship is going to pay me more? Where at least going back, you know, 15, 20 years ago, it seemed like internship was almost synonymous with volunteer. 
yeah kind of pay your dues so there are as we go through this conversation there are so many changes that some good some bad absolutely no doubt about it yeah well thanks matt i mean this was really informative to kind of see just get a little bit of well, i appreciate the opportunity the I've, I've enjoyed it yeah anything else uh, that you want to share as far as where people can find you or uh, anything new and exciting going on so easiest way, you know, obviously always find me, Matt Becker on LinkedIn, but but Staffing Tampa Bay is a website that I run because my my business is focused on the Tampa Bay market. Um, pridestaff.com would be national. We've got 82 offices across the United States. I believe it's 82, it might be 85, um, but it is a national franchise, but my specific one would be staffingtampabay.com. Got it. All right, perfect. Well, thanks again, Matt. We really appreciated the conversation. I'm sure everyone's going to enjoy this. And to all you listeners out there, keep on tuning in. Please leave us a review wherever it is that you're listening or watching us. I'm your host, Brian Kaderna. You've just listened to another episode of the Kaderna podcast, and we will see you next time. This podcast is intended for the general public and for informational purposes only. The show does not provide any recommendations or investment advice regarding any specific account type, service, strategy, or product, or to otherwise act in any fiduciary or other capacity. Please contact a financial professional for guidance and information that is specific to your situation. Brian Kaderna does not provide tax or legal advice. Please contact your accountant or legal advisor to discuss your situation. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by Park Avenue Securities, Guardian, or Kaderna Financial Team, and opinions stated are their own. All investments contain risk and may lose value. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. References to specific securities, asset classes, and financial markets are for illustrative purposes only and do not constitute a solicitation, offer, or recommendation to purchase or sell a security. Brian Kaderna is a registered representative and financial advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PAS, OSJ, 300 Broadacres Drive, Suite 175, Bloomfield, New Jersey, 07003. Phone number 973-244-4420. Securities products and advisory services offered through PAS, member FINRA, SIPC. Financial representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. PAS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Kaderna Financial Team is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PAS or Guardian. California Insurance License Number 0K04194.